Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. And in a way, it seems like, well, it seems almost like a Disney fairy tale that this young girl from humble beginnings rises all the way to please the king and become the queen. And yet there is grief mixed in with this joy in Persia. And I think it's a reminder that we need to be careful in evaluating our lives. See, when everything is horrible or feels horrible in our lives, it doesn't always mean we've made the wrong choices. Sometimes it may mean that we've stayed faithful to God. know the saying, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. Many girls dream of being a princess, having the king fall in love with them and then becoming the queen. We don't know if this is what Esther wanted, but it happened to her nonetheless. Pastor Ricky will be teaching about this story and the apparent compromises Esther made in her life along the way to becoming a queen. This certainly can be a warning to us against putting aside godly principles for seeming advancement. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message, The Girl with Two Names. And this probably just means whatever she desired to take potentially could mean one of two things. Either it could mean jewelry or clothing that whatever she took in to be with the king was going to be kept by her as her gift from the king. So you want to pick something good. Or it could mean that she was trying to dress or act in a way that would kind of please the king as he delighted to be pleased. Verse 16, and when Esther was taken in to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is in the month of Tebeth, In the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a feast, a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. In one sense, this is the best possible news for Esther. She wins. Her picture is on the front page of every supermarket tabloid. Suddenly, every celebrity and ruler and advisor is deferring to her, sending her gifts, trying to chat her up, trying to win her favor now. She's setting fashion trends. There are parties with a banner of Esther over it that the king gives to everyone. And in fact, the king is so happy that he's giving everyone tax breaks. I mean, that is a national holiday. King taxes people a lot in this book, and this is the only tax break, I think. And so he is so pleased. He's throwing parties. He's giving tax breaks. Everyone, while they're taking their tax break and cashing it out and going on vacation or whatever, is chanting, Esther, Esther, right? King's in a good mood again. We all win. And in a way, it seems like, well, it seems almost like a Disney fairy tale that this young girl from humble beginnings rises all the way to please the king and become the queen. And yet there is grief mixed in with this joy in Persia. And I think it's a reminder that we need to be careful in evaluating our lives. See, when everything is horrible or feels horrible in our lives, it doesn't always mean we've made the wrong choices. Sometimes it may mean that we've stayed faithful to God. And at other times, when everything in our life seems to be going amazing, it doesn't always necessarily mean that God is pleased with us. 
We need God's eyes. And in God's eyes, there is a tragedy here as well that one of God's holy and chosen people, one of God's daughters, is now married to a pagan ruler with no regard at all for God. And we're meant to think this is how far the people of God have fallen, that they're physically united in marriage to the pagan kingdom that they find themselves. But that's not the end of the story. Part three. Part three, the queen is still Hadassah. Now, this is the end of our text today, but this is not the end of the story. In fact, you should know that in just a few chapters, God is going to work through Mordecai and through Esther to achieve total salvation for the entire Jewish people in the entire kingdom of Persia. God's people are going to be brought to the brink of utter destruction and ruin, and God is going to use these two people to bring them back from the brink. God is not absent in this part of the story. God is here, and I believe we can trace his hand. God works first despite Ahasuerus and Mordecai. He works despite these people outside of Esther. Now, this king is a fleshly and unstable ruler, but it just so happens that he sets up the contest in exactly the only way that a Jewish person with no regard and no standing could rise to become queen. And Mordecai seems like the most unreliable guardian in the world for Esther, but it just so happens that his advice gets her through to the throne of Persia. What are we to make of that? Does that mean God's pleased here? No, I don't believe so for the reasons I've already covered. What I think we're to understand is that the whole narrative is still being guided, that God is taking these threads, even these sins, and weaving them together for the salvation and preservation of his people. In a similar way to the story of Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery, and he went from bad to worse and ends up in jail and rises from jail to become one of the leaders of Egypt, and he counters his brothers again, and what what does Joseph say? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, God takes the evil that's coming at his people and in his mysterious providence, somehow, way, turns it for good. The Christian and friend, do you think that the forces outside of you, outside of your life, are running your life, are overrunning your life, are ruining your life or God's plan for you. It can feel like that. It can feel like your job or career has got you stuck in a place where you're just being battered around, where your bosses are impossible, where you seem like you have no options to get out, where your coworkers are difficult, where it seems like whatever plans God had for you, they're obviously being frustrated by the place you find yourself. Or maybe it's your health. Maybe you've got a lifelong illness or a disability and you can't do what you wish you could do or you have a sick relative that much of your time is going to care for them and you think, I have a purpose. God, I believe God means to use me, but he can't because of these things. Maybe it's the military or maybe it's trying to get your U.S. citizenship or maybe you're being sued for something or you're party to a lawsuit that you really don't have any responsibility for. It it could be one of a thousand other outside factors that are pushing you and can make you feel like maybe God did have a plan for you, but all of this stuff coming at you surely derails whatever that was. One of the great truths of Esther is that God works despite every single force that could derail us or destroy us for our good, and for his purposes. God still works despite them, whoever they are. Second, God works despite Esther. 
See, she just happens to have favor in verse 9 with Haggai, who is in charge of all the women. In verse 15, she just happens to ask his advice, and it's crucial to winning the king's favor. She just happens to win favor with the king when she's before him. Now, is God condoning what Esther's done? No, but again, we see God working all things, all things together for the good of his people. Now, why would this matter? Well, because without any of these things, it would have been easy for Esther simply to have drifted into the harem of mistresses never to be heard from again. And God, again, is not condoning or excusing her sin to whatever degree it's there. Instead, God is working for the good of his people despite Esther. God is working for Esther's good despite her. And friend, do you think that your sins or your failures are so great that they exceed God's ability to work for your good or for the good of others? Do you think that that one thing that you did, that one period of your life, that one thing defines you forever and that's it? You'll never amount to anything more. That's not true. God works despite us for our good. And friends, that is good news. Now, the larger question is why? Why would God do this? If, if, if Mordecai is failing, if Esther is failing, why in the world would God keep acting to preserve his people when they themselves are displaying how utterly lost they are? Well, in a larger way, Esther is a stand-in for God's people in this book. That God was Israel's faithful husband, and yet they turned away from him. They chose to go after other gods, to go after sin, to marry themselves to the sin of the peoples around them. And God turns them over to discipline, but he never lets them go. He never abandons them. Even in exile, God is continuing to work through them for their good. He is working to fulfill the promises given to Abraham that through him, a nation would come and this nation would bless the whole world. He preserves his people in this book for a reason, because one day someone would be born, another Jewish child. And this child would be pushed by the world, but would stand firm. This child would be pulled by the world, but would stand firm, would walk only in holiness and uprightness. This man would never fail. And he reveals himself to be the promised king of Israel. He reveals himself to be the exact opposite of Xerxes. Because where Xerxes is essentially saying to the kingdom, you give of yourself for my good, the king of Israel comes and says, I will give of myself for your good. And he dies in the place of his people in their place for their sins so that those who'd sinned, those who'd been defiled could be made clean again. It could be washed again and used by God again. This matters immensely to Christians today because issues of sexual morality, I think, friends, are going to be I think are going to be our generations, my generations, one of my generations defining struggles in our walk with Christ. This is a reality. According to a Gallup survey in 2011 of people who identify themselves as evangelical, 76% of young evangelicals believe sex outside of marriage is wrong, but 80% of young unmarried Christians have had sex, and 64% of them in the last year, and 42% of them currently at the time of being polled. Among unmarried evangelical women, 18 to 29, 30% of them have gotten pregnant outside of marriage, many of those ending in abortion. And this is the reality. 
emotionally and physically and biologically speaking, when you sleep with someone, it forms one of the strongest possible bonds between two people. And our culture tries to convince itself over and over and over again that it's nothing, it doesn't mean anything, it's just fun. But scientists understand that the chemicals are released that fuse you to that person, which I think is one of the reasons that there are higher rates of depression among those sexually active outside of marriage. Because you're constantly forming and breaking these bonds. There's that issue. And then there's also the epidemic of pornography use in the world today and in the church today. In a similar way, the majority of Christians, a strong majority, believe that this is wrong and it is biblically wrong. But a majority of Christian men have struggled with this at some point and a massive percentage currently struggle with this. And recent research has also shown that porn has a similar effect on your brain that drugs do, that it physically rewires your brain. And therefore, when that happens, it leads to great feelings of shame and isolation, that it has profound effects on your relationships with your family or your spouse, your future spouse, your future family. I think, friends, we have to be, we have to be real about this, that these stats weren't just made up that I think there is a huge percentage of young evangelicals carrying around a massive burden today of sin and shame. And this creates two issues. First, keeping this quiet keeps them stuck because they are ashamed and therefore alone. I heard somebody admit earlier this year that when they fall and when they look at porn, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to pray and they don't even want to read their Bible. They want to forget. And maybe... A few months later, they start to feel a little better and a little better, and they find their way in, and then they fall again and are further and further isolated. This is what sin does. It keeps us isolated and alone and ashamed. And second, it keeps us from being useful at all for God's kingdom. I heard a pastor say once that he weeps for what my generation could do for Christ without pornography. At the lost opportunities, lost evangelism opportunities, the lost strong marriages, the breakup of relationships that that causes, we have to realize that this is where many of us are and this is where the text hits us. There's one last category because maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I do feel ashamed, but it, it wasn't because I chose it. Perhaps someone did something to you. Perhaps you were abused. And statistics say that as many as one in five women, or even one in four women, will be abused at some point in their life sexually. And you see yourself as dirty or defiled, and it may be affecting your marriage, or maybe if you're unmarried, it may affect the way you think about ever being with someone, and perhaps in a twisted way, it's led you into promiscuity, which is one of the common things that happens, and grievously so. Friends, I think one of the reasons I'm grateful for the book of Esther is that it is utterly honest about Esther. We don't know what she was thinking. We don't know what, how she felt. We do know is that she was pushed in some ways into this position that she never asked for. And we know that there was a powerful pull of this toward her. And we know that she fell and sinned in the most public way possible. And the Bible does not shy away from it. And neither should we. This is real life. This is where the Bible meets us. And the Bible allows us to be utterly honest about who we are and where we are. Because in that place, it can offer us hope.
In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing to a church where many were struggling with sexual immorality and giving themselves over to it. And he says bluntly to them, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither the sexually immoral, and such were some of you. Paul's call to the Corinthians was to be honest about who they were, to be honest about what was happening, because it's only when you're honest that the grace of God can meet you where you are. But Paul does not end there. He continues. He says, such were some of you, but something happened. But you, Christian, were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He says, because of what Jesus has done, everything about you is different. You were washed. See, sin leaves a stain on us. It leaves a mark on us. In Puritan times, they would make people who had committed adultery literally wear a scarlet A in the community to identify themselves as a defiled, a disgusting, an adulterous person. But you know what this passage says? It says that Jesus' work can wash us. It means that the scarlet A can finally be removed. We don't have to pretend like it's not there. We don't have to cover it up. We can instead wash it clean. It says you were sanctified. There's two kinds of sanctification, definitive sanctification, what happens when we get saved, and then progressive sanctification, where we look more and more like Jesus. This is the first kind, this definitive sanctification, that when you came to Jesus, you were in a real way, not a fake way, made holy again by him. You take the A off and you receive a garment of white, and this all happens because you were justified. You stood before your judge guilty. And the gavel was coming down to condemn you forever. But Jesus stood up in the courtroom and says, I will take his punishment. I will take her punishment and they can have mine. So that they walk out of that courtroom with a spotless record. They can never be revoked and never be scribbled over. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Friends, this is our hope. Our hope is not that we can wash our own sins away or that we can make ourselves holy enough by coming to church, by pretending everything's fine, by pretending that we didn't look at porn last year or we didn't have an affair or that never happened. No, but that we can wash our sins away, that we can receive a new standing because of what Jesus has done for us. See, Esther had a husband that simply used her, but the Bible shows us a better and truer husband And this husband, Christ, chooses a bride that is not spotless, but that has already been stained. He doesn't choose her because she's spotless. He chooses her because he loves her and determines to make her beautiful. He lavishly provides for her. Friend, if you're here today and you're convicted that that you would be one of those unrighteous, you'd be one of those people far from God that somehow... The Bible's reading your mail, and you live here. You struggle with this. And maybe you've even tried to come to church. Maybe you've even, at different times, tried to clean up your life and think, I need to get this together. I need to pull myself up my bootstraps. I need to put this behind me. I need to be a good person now. Friend, the gospel is not that good people get to heaven. Because the Bible reveals there are no good people. There are people who realize they're in need of grace and in need of mercy, and people who don't. And you today can be one of these people that puts their hand up and says, yeah, yeah, I need it. 
I need the mercy of God. I can't wash this. Lord, you wash this. I can't sanctify myself, make myself holy again, but you can. I can't work to earn a better standing, but God, you offer it to me. Friend, that offer is on the table for you right now. You do not have to live in shame and isolation anymore. The Bible allows us to bring our brokenness and sin and stain in all of its ugliness and place it at the feet of Jesus. Do that today, friend. We would love to talk to you if you have questions about that. And Christian, if you feel stuck in sin, this passage has two calls for you. The first is not to stay there. See, God sees you where you are and he's not backing away from you. He's calling you to himself. And I want you to hear these words of washed, sanctified, justified. That call applies to you, even if as a Christian you have wandered or sinned. The first Corinthians encourages you, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. It's honest that if you persist and persist and persist in sin and there is no remorse at all, you may not be one of God's children. If you're only sad when you get caught, you may not be one of God's children. But if there's a genuine hunger for repentance, if there's a genuine desire that I don't want to live this anymore, I don't want to hide this anymore, I want to bring this into the light, I want help, I want to be washed again, I want to be sanctified, I want to be reminded that I'm justified. Friend, hear the word of the Lord today. Because listen, this is not the end of Esther's story, and it is not the end of your story. By the end of this book, you will see that Esther becomes one of the most heroic Israelites that ever lived. Dr. Ian Duguid says this, past failures do not write us out of a significant part in God's script for the future. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you feel like, look, because of what I've done, this choice I made, this thing I did, I am doing, I did do, that's it. There's no point in following Jesus anymore. I want you to hear the hope of Esther today. The past failures don't write you out of God's script for the future. God delights in using stained and broken people because those are the only kind of people that he has. One more quote from Ian Duguid to close. He says this, here is hope for all those who find themselves in difficult circumstances in the present because of their past sin and compromise. Here is hope for people who married a non-Christian husband or wife, even though they knew it was wrong. Here is hope for the person who chose a career based on all the wrong motivations, the person who's wasted a lifetime in pursuit of all the wrong goals. Even they can discover that God is sovereign over even those sinful choices and wasted opportunities. Perhaps he's brought us to where we are today so that we can serve him in a unique way. If so, that doesn't make those wrong decisions and sinful actions right, but it should cause us to give thanks to God that he is able to form beautiful pictures out of our smudged and stained efforts. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. So much more to discover in this God of Chance series, but that's all we have time for on today's edition of Better News Radio. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you'd like to find more teachings by Pastor Ricky, visit our website at betternewsradio.com. 
If you'd like a full-length CD version of today's teaching, you can order one by emailing us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that we can bring you God's Word through the ministry of Better News Radio. And we want you to know that we're praying for you always. We want to encourage you. If you haven't done so already, find a good Bible teaching church to become a part of. By joining a church, you gain a support group of fellow believers who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your own relationship with your Creator. You too can contribute in your own unique way as well. And together, the body of Christ will reach many with the good news of the gospel. If you're in the El Paso area, we would love to have you come see us in person at Cross of Grace Church. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship God and hear what He has to teach us through His Word. Find out more under the Community tab at betternewsradio.com. If you're not in El Paso, there's also some great resources to help you find a great church in your area. Thanks for listening to Pastor Ricky's message today from the God of Chance series. He'll have more to share next time right here on Better News Radio. Oh, my soul.